The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I'm your host, Barry Carolis, and you are listening to Pa de Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Today, I am broadcasting to you from Philadelphia for the last time before I head to South America for my honeymoon. The next three episodes that we will release are pre-recorded well in advance from the date that they air, so I can enjoy my first extended break from media and all of my work in over four years. Yep, the longest I've taken off has been about three days. (laughs) Shocking. Honestly, I don't even know how that will feel. Will I love it? Will I panic? Will I lose all sense of self? (laughs) I have no idea, but who cares? Because I've worked for this. If any of you are wondering and or curious about where I'll be visiting, I'll be heading first to Lima, Peru, then up to Cusco, Peru for a few days to head out to the glorious Incan ruins at Machu Picchu. I hear that that's going to be quite amazing. From there, we will head over to the bustling metropolis of Santiago, not Santiago, but Santiago, in Chile, that sits along the base of the Andes. Uh, After a stopover in the hilly beach town of Valparaiso, which looks like Valparaiso, (laughs) we'll settle down for a week in the Paris of the South in Buenos Aires. I'm really looking forward to that. Here, we will take a day to walk through the cobblestone streets of Colonia del Sacramento in Uruguay, which is an easy ferry ride. So, looking forward to really just exploring all these new places and to exist in their cultures. I, I actually feel it's so important to be reminded that our way of living isn't the only way, um, especially in this political season where everybody feels like their way is the only way. But just in general, in life, I think that there are so many different ways to live. Um, and it's so important to go out and recognize that and see it. So it should be an amazing trip. I'm really, really looking forward to it. All right, I'll stop gushing about my upcoming travels, so let's move on to this week's episode. I've had a handful of conversations recently as I've been contacted through the country to teach in schools from a range of backgrounds, a wide range of backgrounds. Often these offers don't come directly from the schools, but instead through referrals from dancers, teachers, and friends of the studio owners. A few times in conversation, I've been asked, are you willing to work with this school because it's only recreational or it's a competition school? And they know that I am a, a concert dance uh, dancer and uh, I'm an instructor that is working mostly with pre-professional and professional students. Um, and while I am most qualified to be working with students who want to track that way uh, towards a professional cre- career or with professionals from companies or the professionals that take my open classes, I actually enjoy working with competition schools and recreational schools to help them, I don't know, raise their bar of training. I think that's the best way to explain it. With these recent conversations that I've been having, and also after having many conversations with parents asking me for advice, I've become acutely aware aware that many parents seeking schools for their kids don't even realize that there are different types of dance schools out there. So why am I here talking to you every week? to share things like this. So here we go. 
This is your episode. <laughs> I'd like to talk about different types of dance schools and how to determine what type of school you're actually signing uh, your kids up for. So let's, let's go, I'm going to sort of work our way like from bottom to top. Um, so let's start with the recreational dance school. These schools are sometimes affectionately referred to by my more esteemed <laughs> colleagues as the Dolly Dinkle Studio or the Tina's Tap and Twirl. <laughs> the implication of these less than favorable nicknames isn't always the case if you attend a recreational dance school. Though more likely than not, the quality of fun is greater at a recreational school than the technique and the level of instruction offered. At times, going to one of these schools may feel like a fun after-school hangout uh, more than a serious endeavor. Uh, I've been trying to resolve this. I think it's a national challenge of recreational dance in my head for years, but I just can't seem to determine a fix, as any regulation of these types of studios would be completely impossible. Unfortunately, in the U.S. and also in much of the world, there isn't any regulation when it comes to dance instruction. And at many of these schools, improper, potentially body-damaging instruction is given. There also tends to be a cycle in these schools, where many of the students that have made it all the way to the top levels in these schools are often moved up into the faculty after they graduate from high school, and then they end up recycling this improper technique. Uh, to future students in the school. While I find it difficult to see the rewards of improper training and dancing for fun without regards for technique, especially because I think it's so much more fun to dance when you can do it well, and I say that all the time, but I don't want somebody to just be go going to dance because it's fun. I think when you can move your body and express yourself and do multiple turns and jump higher and get your leg longer, and I don't know, that's just a lot more fun to me, but maybe I'm unique in that, that sense. But there are some upsides to these schools. First, many people just like me began training at a recreational school. While these schools don't always promote training that gives a student the foundation to have a career, they often inspire passion for dance, a strong sense of camaraderie among your peers, who are also your competition. And these schools often instill a sense of discipline that is helpful to any career beyond dance. And even better, these recreational school dancers have a lifelong soft spot for dance, and they become the ticket buyers and the donors and the advocates for dance companies and dance productions across the country and around the world. Recreational schools also are often the only schools available for dance in small towns and more rural areas, uh, where professionals and former professionals who would be able to provide higher quality training may not reside. Um, so there probably wouldn't even be dance in a lot of communities if there weren't recreational schools. So they can't really be all that bad, as long as you know what you're getting yourself into and your aspirations are to have an appreciation for the art with a limited to small chance of gaining professional employment on the stage as a dancer. Alright, moving on to the next category of dance schools. We have the competition dance school. I grew up in a school that, while not fully immersed in this genre, would have at the time been considered or classified as a competition school. This genre of school may be confusing for many because, yes, all dance is competitive. 
But a competition dance school is an institution that sets its time and curriculum. That's a hard word to say sometimes. <laughs> but they set their time and curriculum around dance competitions, um, a la Dance Moms, if you haven't seen Dance Moms. It's a TV show on Lifetime that is just very, very interesting with a crazy, crazy, crazy director um, who uh, is really the most extreme stereotype of what a dance teacher could be. If you've ever watched So You Think You Can Dance, which is actually currently running on uh, Fox, I believe, nearly all of the non-street dancers that compete in So You Think You Can Dance were kids that have probably come through a competition school. Competition schools are a unique niche of the dance world, with training that runs from horribly recreational to producing some of the finest commercial and Broadway talent in the country. Competition schools are training programs that focus all of their energy on building groups of dancers into strategically created ensembles according to age, ability, and style to compete at competitions like Star Power, New York City Dance Alliance, uh, Jump, Nouveau, which I think is more of a convention, but I think they also have adjudicated competition, um, and many, many more. There are literally dozens of possible competitions touring the country from about September through July. Um, when I was younger, there were maybe two dozen. Now, there it's it's definitely a crazy, crazy business. Um, but yeah, so these groups, they, they focus on choreography that they, pre they focus on presenting choreography at these competitions. And they can range uh, in size everywhere from solos to duets and trios, small, large groups in line, which means really, really big groups. The focus of these schools isn't always on the best technique, though this does happen sometimes. But instead, the focus is on showmanship creating stylistically well-rounded dancers and dancing with lots of emotion and flashy leg extensions, turns, jumps, and tricks. These schools often offer the most diverse range of classes, but only really utilize ballet as a means to do better in other styles. So if you want to get ballet, good, good classical ballet training, I wouldn't necessarily suggest going to a competition dance school. But if you want a more well-rounded approach, this might be the place to go. Here you can dance in everything from jazz to lyrical to modern to acro, which is acrobatics, hip-hop, musical theater, contemporary tap, and beyond. The best advice I can offer a parent that is interested in sending their kid to a competition school is just to be sure to see if these schools are more interested in presenting quality than showing a facade of giving tons of opportunities to get your kid on stage by taking as much money from you as possible. These schools can be ridiculous moneymakers, as the competitions that these schools go to are ridiculous moneymakers. And while I get the hunger to see star-studded Susie or brilliant Brian, I actually had to write that in my notes before because I don't think I'm witty enough to actually come up with those names, but star-studded Susie or brilliant Brian, if you want to see them hit the stage to gain that experience and make grandma proud. Uh, there is great value in spending more time in the studio than on the stage, though, especially as a child in your formative training years. Alright, next on my list of types of dance schools that you can send your children to, pre-professional training programs. Uh, pre-professional schools come in a handful of different forms. There are pre-professional training programs that provide stellar, fantastic training from the ground up. Then there are other institutions that are considered finishing schools, but we'll get back to that idea of a finishing school in just a little bit. 
Generally, a pre-professional school offers a staff with either extensive professional performance experience or uh, with people who have been heavily schooled in the appropriate ways to structure a syllabus. Uh, then they are shown, given, taught the skills to physically enforce that strength and precision and technique uh, onto their students. Many pre-professional programs are attached to professional companies, but that doesn't mean that they're the only great training, pre-professional training programs. In fact, there are many schools that are renowned for preparing young hopeful dancers that are unattached to a company or a finishing school. For instance, I went to the Kirov Academy in Ballet in Washington, D.C., which had incredible training from the ground up all the way until pre-professional, um, and there was no company attached to the school. These programs generally give a strong foundation in one of the pillar techniques, like Vaganova or RAD, which is Royal Academy of Dancing, or the French style, or more. Uh, but they, they offer that strong foundation in these pil pillar techniques that can be molded once the student is ready to begin their journey towards becoming a full-fledged professional dancer. Pre-professional track programs are usually not the last school a student will go to unless it is attached to a finishing program. So I've already talked about that. Let's, uh, I, or I've already mentioned that, so let's just get into the finishing program aspect of a pre-professional program. A finishing program is essentially the final two to three years of a dancer's training. And for the most part, when you look at a website for a school, it's not going to necessarily say it's a finishing school um, because the finishing programs are usually uh, the final years of a pre-professional program. So like I was saying, while most finishing programs are part of a pre-professional program, not all pre-professional programs will have a finishing program. That's just the other way around, especially if they're not attached to a company. If these programs aren't necessarily attached to a company school, they may be in the form of a second company, like Pennsylvania Ballet has a second company, American Ballet Theater has a studio company, Houston Ballet has HB2, um, or there may be a, a trainee program, which Ballet Austin has or Richmond Ballet has. These finishing programs are exactly what they sound like. After a dancer has finished their basic, intermediate, and advanced training, they move into a finishing program, which is usually usually utilized by companies to adapt dancers to the style that the company is already performing in. For instance, many strong Vaganova-trained dancers like me end up at the School of American Ballet every year, and they go there to adapt their strong strict foundation into the Balanchine style of dancing. Um, and here, the students may uh, go from turning their head, just turning their head to the side for the port de bras, um, and the Balanchine technique will have them at a slight tilt to that. Or maybe their jetés at bar were formerly accented out, and now they'll be asked to be accented in, and often with breakneck speed. Any good pre-professional program will turn a dancer into a beautiful blank canvas that can show any color of paint with a multitude of different brushstroke techniques so that they can enter these companies as the most versatile, well-rounded dancer available to any choreographers or any, or any old uh, repertoire or anything like that. They need to be malleable, especially these days where there's contemporary ballet and contemporary works and modern works and everything being performed. 
Of the small group of aspirants that are lucky enough to get into a finishing program, usually only one to six dancers are taken into a school's company, if anybody, each year. Nonetheless, a dancer needs to go through these types of programs. Very few people don't go through these types of programs. Um, if a dancer wants to dance with a specific company, they should strive to be in and try to receive finishing uh, training in that style or with that company. Okay, the last type of school that we have is a drop-in school. Uh, and I could add a lot to the list <laughs> for drop-in schools, but instead I'm going to remind you that I did a podcast, I think it was back around July 1st, about drop-in schools. So instead of going on a big long spiel about dropping schools, um, it sounds like dropping, drop-in schools, I'm going to direct you to my previous podcast. Um, I think it was titled Drop-in Schools Across the U.S. So if you would like more information on those, you know where to go. Okay, so let's get to the main point of this podcast. What are you signing up for? Or how do you know what you're signing up for? As a parent... How do you know how to go about selecting a program and recognizing what type of program you're signing your kid up for? Unfortunately, most novice registrants don't understand the power of an image. I can almost always tell what a program will be like just by viewing a few pictures on their website. Um, it can show technique, it can show taste, it can show many, many things. But not everybody has a trained eye or knows somebody with a trained eye and not everybody has that luxury. The first thing I always suggest is to look at the instructors on the website. You can go and usually look in faculty uh, or in the about section of the, the websites of these schools. Most schools with quality instruction will have faculty with substantial professional credits. Now, I'm not, I'm, by saying this, I'm not looking down on anybody, I'm just giving a general statement, but I'm not talking about local pickup dance companies in small town uh, type credits where a dancer works uh, all day at a a uh, regular job and then maybe once a week, twice a week they rehearse for two hours and then they uh, perform in a performance where they don't get paid or they get paid very minimally um, and it's not a regular year-round contract type gig. These dancers that I'm talking about have performed fully contracted work with companies or in productions that have track records of excellence, which means if you <laughs> want to do some research online on these companies, they should have some extensive uh, information available. Think about it this way. A non-dance reference, if you want to learn about technology, you want to learn from somebody who has worked in the field, not somebody who studied keyboarding and played a bunch of video games in high school and then assumed that they were an expert and then started teaching. That's the best way I can explain it. Now, there is such a thing called teacher training, which is a whole nother podcast topic that I'll do another time. But... Just simply right now, I warn against falling back on a teacher training credential unless the te these teachers were in an extended, fully immersive teacher training program. Uh, kind of like the National Ballet of Canada, I believe it has a three-year certificate program. Many of the teacher training programs are money-making endeavors that have instructors paying to spend a weekend to a few weeks taking in information that's just given to them, uh, these teachers. Sometimes they're given a test, but... I, not getting in a studio and practicing under the scrutiniz scrutinizing eye of a mentor for a really extended period of time, it just it doesn't work for me. I just think that it's so important that if you are going to do a teacher training that it be 
like going to college. You, you go to college for four years to learn about a subject, or if you get a master's, it's two years. I don't, I just don't believe that two weeks or a month is enough time to be accredited uh, with a teacher credential. Anyway, okay, I'm getting back on track. Sorry about that. <laughs> Obviously, I'm passionate about that. We'll talk about that another time. I'll put that in my list of podcasts to do. All right, so I suggest asking for a list of alumni if it's not provided on a website and the programs that they have moved on to. If many of the students have moved on to great university programs, it's likely that you're probably dealing with a recreational school. Not that this is a bad thing, but if you're looking to create a career in dance or to have your kids have a career in dance, you want to be sending your kids to schools where the students have attended professional dance companies, uh, summer intensives, and eventually left for the year-round finishing programs. From there, if they have alumni dancing in companies on Broadway and music videos or tours, all the better. Honestly, the last place I would really consider going to to figure out where to send your kid to get the best training is to a friend or a peer or colleague um, from their recommendation, unless they're a former dancer. Most parents are going to offer a generally uneducated opinion of a school. If their kids are having a good experience, they will probably tell you it's a great school, but they likely don't have the technical knowledge of what proper dance training is. Let me remind you, there isn't one correct way to dance, but there are definitely incorrect, even dangerous ways to dance. So take my advice, check out my podcast with information about companies. If you don't know what credits to look for in bios, do your own research and try your best to make educated, informed decisions versus social and generally uneducated decisions. I'll say this one last time. I truly believe it is so much more fun to dance if you can actually do it well. And your kids' bodies won't regret it down the road. And if they really, truly do fall in love with dance and have potential, they aren't going to have to backtrack or they're not going to just be left behind with technique that doesn't work. So I hope that you take my advice. All right. Also, I hope you found this soundbite helpful. I think that this is where we're going to end it this week. So if anybody ever wants to talk directly to me about items like choosing the best dance schools for your kids, stay tuned as I will soon be featured in an app that will allow you to do that. I'll let you know as soon as it launches, but I can't give you any more information about that quite yet. In the meantime, remember, if there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. Should I spell that? B-A-R-R-Y-K-E-R-O-L-L-I-S.com. I've had a handful of people recently reaching out to me, and it's, it's really been great to, to hear from my listeners. You can also reach out to me on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram where my name is B. Carolis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. 
Also be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Cancer, where I have been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B Corollas featuring my choreography and Choreography featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod the Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.